0: Hello and welcome to episode two of It Happened, Glimpses of History. I'm your host, Alan Partington. As our title suggests, we are not limited in our quest to present brief glimpses of interesting history knowledge. If it happened, you could hear it here. Let's find out what we have in store in this episode. Our guest today is Dr. Alexander P. Noonan, Special Lecturer in the Department of History at Oakland University. Hello, Dr. Noonan. How are you today?
1: I'm great. How are you doing?
0: Very good. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Noonan, can you please tell us about yourself, about your journey to become an historian and about your field of study?
1: Sure, absolutely. Uh, First of all, I want to thank you for having me on the podcast today. Uh, I'm really delighted to participate in these kinds of uh, important efforts to share knowledge about and interest in the past. Uh, At every level of my education, from elementary school to, to graduate school, I've always been fortunate to have excellent role models, teachers who loved their craft and inspired their students with their own sort of infectious enthusiasm for the subject matter. Uh, So I consider myself really quite lucky to follow in that path. Um, In general, I am a a cultural historian of American foreign relations. Uh, So my scholarly interests lean towards studying how non-material forces, things like memory or perception and emotion, uh, shape issues of diplomacy, war, and so on. Uh, My particular research examines the relationships uh, between transnational anarchist terrorism, American foreign relations, and security in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Uh, So I am, as I often introduce myself, Alexander, who studies anarchist assassins. Uh, It's memorable, if nothing else.
0: Let's rejoin Dr. Noonan to find out more about anarchists
1: and assassins. In the 1880s and 1890s, uh, people around the world noted how individuals who identified themselves as anarchists perpetrated a a string of violent attacks uh, against symbols of the social order. So they did things like they set off bombs in theaters and cafes, and they successfully murdered several prominent public figures, and so on. Now, Americans saw that, and they also knew that anarchists frequently crossed borders to escape restrictive laws in other countries, and they shared ideas with associates around the world. Uh, So in addition to proposing measures to protect public officials or prevent the circulation of anarchist publications in the United States, Americans also debated how to coordinate with foreign governments facing the same danger. Uh, But there was a puzzle that struck me. Because Americans envisioned a series of interdependent measures to address the danger of violent anarchism, but the individual policies themselves were unevenly implemented. And to me, it's important to understand why, uh, because many of the measures that Americans rejected in the late 19th century would, by the mid-20th century, become synonymous with the modern national security state. And in terms of why anarchists resorted to violence, I think it's important to contextualize it, uh, because the, the reality is that like other industrializing nations in the late 19th century, the United States was suffering from really wrenching effects of industrial growth. And so nations around the world, as they adopted new technologies uh, that made possible large-scale mechanized production, uh, that threw older systems out of balance. And so industrial agriculture put family farmers out of business, and rural workers would migrate to cities to find work in new factories. This process created tremendous uncertainty, discontent, and anger. And in the United States, this upheaval which was going on was also complicated by dramatically increasing immigration. Uh, While wages and working conditions in the United States were bad, uh, they were relatively better than in other places. And so global migrants began to compete with American workers. And so the result in the late 19th century was that capitalists grew richer. The ranks of the unemployed or subsistence workers also swelled. And there were a series of violent strikes uh, that hammered home the seriousness of these social problems. And while mass circulation of newspapers kept Americans informed of these kinds of upheavals around the world, uh, there were two major incidents in the United States that conditioned Americans to equate anarchism with violence and murder. Uh, Early on, Anarchists were seen as one of many pressing dangers to society, Uh, but they were indistinct from a lot of others. And by the late 19th century, that has really changed. And the two events that really accelerated that transition were the Haymarket bombing in Chicago in 1886, and the aftermath of the Homestead strike in 1892. At Haymarket Square in Chicago, there was a. Uh a protest rally in support of workers who had been striking on behalf of an eight-hour workday. And the rally was thrown into chaos when an unknown assailant uh, threw a bomb at a line of police officers. Uh, There was an explosion and subsequent gunfire that left seven policemen and four demonstrators dead, and untold numbers were injured. In the ensuing trial, eight anarchists were convicted of conspiracy, and seven of them were sentenced to death. Uh, Then at Homestead, in July 1892, as the strike was going on, uh, a Russian-born anarchist named Alexander Berkman shot and stabbed Henry Clay Frick, the notorious union buster who was in charge of the Homestead plant. you know, Berkman's action was a futile effort that really undermined public support for the strikers. And it really did a great deal to sort of entrench this notion of the wild-eyed anarchist wielding a bomb in one hand and a revolver in the other into the public consciousness. And anarchists really began to be described in very strongly negative ways. One newspaper described them as, quote, insurgents against civilization. Uh, Or my favorite was, quote, a hydra-headed monster of murderous malevolence, a venomous snake in a covenant with hell, end quote. And this is the way that anarchists Uh, became described in part because of this kind of violence that became attributed to them.
0: So were anarchists actually less violent than they were being portrayed in that time?
1: That's a really good question, Uh, and it becomes complicated. I think it's important to remember that anarchist as a term has both objective and subjective qualities, right? So in an objective sense, labeling someone as an anarchist or calling something anarchism conveys an idea about a certain set of beliefs, theories about the way society should operate, and so on. But anarchist is usually used as an invective, right? It's often not a compliment when thrown at someone else. And the reason why is because many people saw anarchism as threatening and as dangerous. And so anarchists were deliberately constructed in the public image uh, of lying outside the bounds of civil society, right? And so the overwhelming mass of people and government uh, denied the possibility that anarchist criticisms of the social order were valid. Anarchists lay beyond the societal pale. Uh, at different times, uh, a legal term uh, was used to describe them that was uh, anarchists were hostess humani generis, uh, meaning they were Enemies of society, enemies of humanity. This was a term that had originally been used uh, in admiralty law to refer to pirates. Uh, And so anarchists are sort of painted in that same light. Can you
0: characterize anarchists? Can, Can most of them be placed together in a group? What were they expecting to accomplish in a practical sense through violence?
1: Uh, That's, again, it's a really good question, um, because it's complicated to answer. By definition, of course, anarchists believed in no rulers, and so there really is no one unified doctrine or theory of how anarchism should work. Uh, In general, anarchism was, as Emma Goldman defined it, quote, A philosophy of a new social order based on liberty unrestricted by man made law. So, what does that mean? Anarchists believed that capitalism and the centralized nation state basically propped each other up. And so, anarchists essentially saw existing society as hierarchical and authoritarian, and they wanted to replace that. With a system that was cooperative and egalitarian. But beyond that general theme, Uh, there were several different strains of anarchist thought. So, for example, in the United States, uh, there has long been an individualist libertarian strain of anarchist thought that grew out of an intellectual tradition that includes prominent people like Thomas Jefferson uh, or Henry David Thoreau. Uh, but over time, uh, particularly in the late 19th century, uh, a collectivist strain that is most commonly associated with European thinkers like Mikhail Bakunin and Peter Kropotkin uh, became predominant in the United States. And this approach really spread from, from Europe to the United States. and. There's a mistaken belief, I think, that anarchists don't believe in order. In reality, collectivist anarchists had a decentralized but highly organized approach to society. Anarchists envisioned a world of interconnected networks uh, and federations united by common interests and regulated by initiative and the mutual aid of their members. My own work tends to focus on Violent anarchists, uh, those individuals who committed acts of violence. So, things like I said, uh, like bombing cafes, theaters, attacking heads of state. Uh, people like Bakunin, Kropotkin, Emma Goldman, and others, uh, they may have espoused or tolerated violence. But they also thought deeply about what an anarchist vision of society would look like. Uh, they were people who you know thought deeply about the finer points of an anarchist approach to social order. The violent anarchists, the ones who most typically perpetrated these acts of infamy uh were operating on a different level. They were often, you know, contemporary accounts of them sort of describe them as being motivated by a more vague feeling that the times were out of joint. Um, So, for example, in 1894, there's an anarchist who... Conducts a series of bombings around Paris, and he's arrested and tried. And his name is Emile Henri. And uh, he gave at his trial what I think is the most comprehensive statement of this violent anarchist position. He gives a really scathing critique on a society that he and others like him felt had left them behind. And while his whole statement is fascinating, uh, one passage really strikes me. He says, life with its injustices and iniquities takes upon itself indiscreetly to open the eyes of the ignorant to reality. I had been told that life was easy, that it was wide open to those who were intelligent and energetic. Experience showed me that only the cynical and servile were able to secure good seats at the banquet. I had been told that our social institutions were founded on justice, and equality. I observed around me nothing but lies. End quote. And it's that notion, I think, that really motivated uh, these individual anarchists who conduct acts of violence and then sort of claim the anarchist mantle for themselves. Uh, most of them do not have long personal histories of engaging in anarchist. Theories, Right. They're discontent with society. They're discontented with their place in society. And so they strike out against what they see as the embodiments of a social order that has done them wrong. Uh, in a modern sense, we would call this the, the politics of grievance. Uh, and that idea really animated Henri and others. Uh, like him who hearkened back to a past or who longed for a future where society rewarded people like them.
0: Thank you very much, Dr. Noonan. That was fascinating. Do you have any suggestions for additional information on the subject? Is there something you've written or are there other sources you can recommend?
1: Uh, Well, I'm working right now to turn my dissertation uh, into a a book manuscript that I'm I'm hoping to send to publishers uh, later this spring or early summer. There are two really good books uh, that I'm thinking of. One of them is by uh, Beverly Gage, G-A-G-E who's a historian, I believe she's at Yale still, and it's called The Day Wall Street Exploded, a story of America in its first age of terror. Uh, And then the other book, which really deals with how a international regime to Address Anarchism Took Place, uh, is a book by Richard Jensen, J-E-N-S-E-N, and it's called The Battle Against Anarchist Terrorism, An International History, uh, from 1878 to 1934. Uh, both of those books are really excellent studies, uh, and just as importantly, uh, both of them are brilliant writers. Uh, they're very engaging historians.
0: There's one more thing I'd like to ask you. What is it like doing research during a pandemic? What things are different? Uh, is there anything that actually makes it easier,
1: better, or is it all negative? Doing research in a pandemic is brutally difficult, um, While I have a a lot of the material for uh, this project, uh, because I had done most of this research a long time ago, um, being here unable to travel to archives where the documents are held uh, poses real challenges. Uh, because none of it is really accessible online. It's all uh, either in the original hard copies in boxes in archives, or it's been microfilmed uh, and is being held. Uh, so, you know, for this research, uh, I spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C. I spent a lot of time in living in London. Uh, I would like to go to some archives in uh, Switzerland and in Rome. Uh, one day when I can travel again, that is a possibility. Uh, one of the nice things about researching in a pandemic is you do have scholars around the world who are in a a similar plight. Uh, and doing research can often be a very isolating feeling. You know, it's you on your own in an archive in a city where you probably don't know anyone. Uh, And so what uh, my professional organization, which is Schaefer, uh, the Society for Historians of American Foreign Relations, uh, what they've actually done is used a listserv where people can say, hey, I'm looking for somebody who is working in this city who can photograph this record series for me. Uh, And if anybody needs anything, I'm in this place, and I can go to the archive and photograph if there's something you need, Uh, which is a really nice thing that sort of builds community, but also allows us to actually... Uh, do some research when we can't travel.
0: Thank you again, Dr. Noonan. We really appreciate you taking the time to provide us with another fascinating glimpse into history.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciated doing this. It was a great experience.
0: This podcast is created by Alan Partington with assistance and encouragement from George Milne, and James Knowles. It's available on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Come back soon for the next episode of It Happened, Glimpses of History.